Well, this morning, we're going to be cruising through the Word of God again. Did you bring your Bible with you? Did you bring your notebook with you? Markers, highlighters, pencils, pens, all that stuff. We're going to be cruising through the Word of God. We're not doing a story, per se, today. We're doing more of a topic, and so there's going to be a, a lot of reading, and I tell you what, every time I try to say, well, maybe we'll just speak about a verse and we'll work around it and look at it from lots of different angles, I just really get from the Lord that we need to be opening up the Scripture a whole lot more and spending time going through it together. So we're going to do some feasting on the Word of God today, and uh, before we do, I'm just going to pray that He opens His Word to us, as the Holy Spirit is so good at doing, that He reveals His heart that he reveals Jesus to us, and that we, we see things with new and fresh eyes. So, Lord, we just thank you. I thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would give us a hunger and a desire to feast from your word. I ask that your word would be opened up to us in a whole new season in our lives right now, Lord, that we would, we would chew on it. We would ruminate in it. That we would be washed by the water of your word. Lord, with all that we've been through in this season, through the transitions that we've had, Lord, and all of the, um, everything going on with COVID, Lord, we have a new perspective in life right now. I ask that your word would adjust our focus in that new perspective. Lord, as we come to you today, I ask that you would you would open up your word to us. Holy Spirit, we ask right now that you would speak to us out of, out of your word. That it wouldn't just be logos for us today, Lord, that it would be rhema to us. Adjust things that need to be adjusted, Lord. And I ask that you would just draw us into deeper, richer, more profound intimacy with you. As we are exposed to your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I really enjoyed our, our sermon a couple weeks ago about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was a lot of fun. Now, you remember at the end of that, we had an admonition towards, um, towards recognizing that, that the Lord has um, called us to uh, profound dedication and devotion to him. And we talked about them going through the fire and then meeting Jesus in the midst of that fire, in the midst of the flames. And even at the end there, you'll, you may recall, I, I made a reference to the fact that we're not to fear man and fear what the world can do to us, but truly we're to fear God, that our God is an all-consuming fire. And so I'm going to read from, from Hebrews chapter 12 to start with because I think it just makes a good step-off point for us as a transition into our topic today, which is the fear of the Lord. Okay? If you recall, in Hebrews chapter 12, the author starts off by reminding us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and, and finisher of our faith, the one who we're to be completely focused on. And you'll recall over this past year and a half, if you've been with us during that time, that I keep calling us back to focus your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't turn to the right or to the left, but focus on him. And we've spoken about that quite a bit. He goes through and tells us to start there and remember him um, and all that he faced, all that Christ faced, and that there's a disciplining process that takes place in our life in God. And it's for our own good. Now, if you pick up here in verse 18, I'm going to read from 18 through 29. Because there's a a juxtaposition of two mountains here. There's the the mountain of fear and the mountain of joy, is what my Bible calls this section. It says this, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. Even If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. 
The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. And of course, this harkens back to when they're at Mount Sinai and God is coming and he's coming to meet with them. And it was such an awesome, crazy, intense moment. Fire from heaven and this mountain ablaze. And the voice of God speaking out of that, it was terrifying. He's saying, we're not coming to that mountain. But you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We are in a different place. We're in a different epoch, and era. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Now his reference was to that first mountain. You know, the people of Israel were terrified, and they did not fully enter into what God was offering them in that moment. Moses did, but the people did not. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now... He has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So this is our step-off point here. From that last message to this message here. Our God is a consuming fire. We've spoken about this several times now, but this past year and a half has been an incredible shaking in the earth. And you've heard myself And probably thousands of other pastors say, the world is shaking, lay hold of the kingdom, because the kingdom cannot be shaken. And God has been shaking loose things in our lives that we've found that have become idols to us. We've put our trust in them, and we've we've rested our weight on those things, and we've put our hope in our future and our understanding of how things are going to be in temporal things. We've even had bad theologies that we've put our hope and our trust and our faith in. And God's shaken those loose too. And he's told us to lay hold of him because he is what is unshakable. His kingdom is unshakable. And he is a consuming fire. He will burn up anything that comes in the way. You know, you go back far enough into, uh, into the Old Testament there in Deuteronomy, we find that he's a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. He doesn't want anything else seated on the throne of your heart other than him. So this, this term here, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, is a... I'd say verbally here, it is a nod at what we would call the fear of the Lord. And some of your translations actually say the fear of the Lord in this situation. Because the fear of the Lord is not necessarily a terror of the Lord. Like, I'm afraid of who God is and I'm going to run away. I was listening to John Bevere recently speak about this. He actually wrote a whole book on the fear of the Lord. And he was talking about this, and he says, there's a spirit of fear which runs away. 
You're frightened. You're scared of God. What happens when sin came into the earth? When God came in, his presence was there in the garden, what did they do? They hid from him, right? If Jesus loves the fear of the Lord, and one of the spirits of of God is the fear of the Lord, we'll get back into that later on here, then terror of God and wanting to flee from him is not what Jesus is, and so that's not what the fear of the Lord is. John Bevere puts it this way. He says, The fear of the Lord is not that terror that would cause us to run away from God. It's the terror of being far from him. It's the, it's the fear of being outside of his presence, of being away from him. It's what would cause us to draw near to him. The fear of the Lord ultimately towards us speaks about intimacy with God. Remember when Jesus is on the cross and he cries out there, what does he say? Is he has become sin for us. And God has, has turned his back on him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He'd always known presence with his father. We who are following Jesus, we who have him in our hearts, have to live in this place of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, as we're going to discover today, the concept of this and the reference to this is littered throughout Scripture. And if you read through the Psalms, you can barely get through many chapters of Psalms without stumbling across it again. Because the fear of the Lord is so interwoven with what God expects from us from us in our life and in our relationship with him. It is a relational thing. In the fear of the Lord, there's the, the reverence and the awe of who God is. He is so much bigger. He is so much grander. He has all that power in the universe. He is the power in the universe. He has spoken everything into motion. He does bring judgment. There is, there's things that are really truly to be fearful of if we're outside of God's will and outside of relationship with him. He does discipline us. Remember, Hebrews 12 talks about the disciplining of him. So there's a a certain understanding that our father is actually our father. He's not just some other guy. These aren't just some other words when we're praising and we're worshiping him, we're not just singing to some distant, ethereal someone or we're just singing good songs that make us feel happy. There is a person that we are singing to. There is a person that we are, we are reading about, that we are reading as we're here in his word. There's a person that we're walking with. There's a person who is correcting us and lovingly showing us mercy when we misstep. There's actually misstep that we can do, and it is an affront to God. Fear of the Lord recognizes the relationship that we have with him and recognizes that we are subject to him. If you're in Christ, you're in the kingdom. That kingdom has a king, and there isn't a vote about who's going to be the next king. Whether or not your opinion ultimately matters to him because he is sovereign. The fear of the Lord recognizes that he is in charge and that he will have his way. But the fear of the Lord is not a glower thing. You know, if you're a parent... Your children need boundaries because when they live inside those boundaries, there's freedom. Not giving your child boundaries actually is inflicting harm towards them. And it actually removes security from them because they don't know where the boundary is. 
But when we have boundaries, we are free to operate inside those boundaries. The fear of the Lord recognizes that he has put boundaries into our lives. And that we are free to operate inside those boundaries. We have a relationship with him. And there's promises for us in the fear of the Lord. And I am way outside my notes now. So we're going to see if we can get them back on track. All right. When we go into Proverbs, verses 9, uh, 10 through 11, we see this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, and the years will be added to your life. There's promises that come with the fear of the Lord. And whenever I think about the fear of the Lord, my, my mind instantly goes back towards this scripture. It's not the only thing that comes with the fear of the Lord. I'm going to talk through some of those things today. But this idea that there's long life that comes with the fear of the Lord is a, is a powerful promise to us. We also find the same type of thing here in Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding comes to us. Long life, promises. But we're going to go into Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to read all the way through this chapter. Because I think it's, it's important to see the fear of the Lord juxtaposed with the love of the Lord. I think when I tend to read through this, I focus on the love the Lord your God aspect of this chapter, and I haven't really noticed oftentimes the fear of the Lord aspect of it. Um, in, my, in my version of the Bible that I'm, tra- I'm reading here, my translations, NIV, it's, it calls this whole section, love the Lord your God. And so the focus here is to love the Lord your God, and we know that's the greatest commandment, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus says, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But in here, you're going to find the fear of the Lord peppered through this chapter. So look at the way it is constructed, because there's symmetry in the way this is constructed, which should get our attention. We walk in, we walk back out of this. Okay. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Remember, this is kind of Moses's final treaties to the people of Israel as they're about to go into the promised land. And he's just brought them back through in the chapter preceding this, the Ten Commandments, and has spoken to them about those again. So he says, these are the commands and decrees and laws. So that you, your children, and their children after them may what? Fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. There it is again. Here's the promise. This long life that comes to you. And I'll pause here to say the fear of the Lord isn't just a reverence and a recognition. And yes, Lord, we know that you're alive and you're in charge and you're sovereign. There's activity in our life that follows that. There's right conduct that comes because of that. And I'm not talking about behavior modification. I'm talking about If we fear the Lord, then there is a way that we conduct ourselves. And you'll see it here in Deuteronomy, and you're going to see it as we finish out in our last scriptures that we talk about, all the way at the end of the book. Hear Israel, and be careful to obey it, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And here's where I tend to focus as I read through this. This becomes my, what I zero in on when I tend to read through this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God wanted to impress that these commands were important. They needed to be in your mind. They needed to be ever before you. They need to be 
visible and tactile types of expressions of, of getting close to God's word. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Don't forget him. You're going to inhabit this land. His blessings are going to pour forth on you. You're going to be living high on the hog, you know, so to speak, but they didn't eat hogs. But you're going to be living really well in this place that I'm giving you. But in that great living, do not forget who brought you here. And that he has purpose and he has a destiny for you. And that your lives are to be consecrated to him. So this next thing he says is this. And it's kind of central in this entire statement. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. We live in a world today where the gods of the people around us are all around us. Idolatry is not just a, a golden figurine that you bow down to. Anything that comes between you and Jesus is an idol. It's meant to distract you. It's made, meant to capture your affections, capture your thoughts. You begin to orient your life around these things. Fear can become an idol. Anything can become an idol. We must continually come to that place where we refocus and realign ourselves and replace Jesus on the throne of our hearts. He must be our one and only. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. And his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as, as, as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you. And you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive. As he has commanded us, that there's principles here that travel across the cross. We are still to fear the Lord. We are still to live in right conduct before him. His promises of blessing and favor still comes to us as we fear the Lord. The focus of our life is not blessings and favor. The focus of our life is him. As Pastor Dan was sharing this morning, is to lead people to Jesus. It's for us to live as representatives of our Father. We're not orphans. The orphan spirit runs from God. The spirit of sonship draws us close to his heart so that we can be transformed and made in his image and likeness, be conformed to his identity, be his representatives. When he says go, we go. When he says come, we come. When he says stop talking, we stop talking. 
because he governs our life, and because of our reverence and awe of him, we obey. Because of our love for him, we obey. Love of the Lord and fear of the Lord is a tension that we live in, in our walk with him. I love how C.S. Lewis approaches this in the Chronicles of Narnia. They ask the question of the beavers, is he safe? Remember this? Is he safe? Is he safe? Of course he's not safe. But he is good. Remember, he's not a tame lion, as Lewis likes to put it. He is ferocious. He is a jealous God. He is all-consuming. And he is love. And he is just. And he is righteous. And he is merciful. And he is kind. And he is faithful. Who wouldn't want to follow him? You know, the fear of the Lord is a guardrail in our life. We can recognize when we've overstepped and when we've misstepped. But it's the love of the Lord and his kindness that draws us back into repentance. He's so good. Let's go to Psalm 25. In Psalm 25, we find David talking about how he's put his trust in the Lord and he's asked him to to show him his ways and to teach him his paths and that his saying his his hope is in him and this recognition of of God revealing his ways and, and showing his paths and the tie of that to hope in him and trust in him and fear and all of this is tied together, and you see these patterns throughout Scripture. But I'm going to read to you from verses 12 through 15, because David is calling people to fear the Lord. And he has something here that he wants to teach, and he's, he's teaching as a, as a master teacher. And so as he ad- addresses us as, as children, it's from that place. It doesn't mean that you're young. You could be 95, and David's still teaching you as a child. Because here's a man who's been walking with God. And he says here, Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity, and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. This recognition of when we fear the Lord, he instructs us is a recognition that there's intimate communion that takes place there. There's fellowship that's happening as he instructs us in the ways they should choose. Other translations say in the way that he has chosen. It's like Pastor Lanny says, what what hands the peanut in, right? He knows the way you should go. He wants to instruct you in those paths. He wants to disclose those things to you. They will spend their days in prosperity. That's not just a reference to monetary. Prosperity is well beyond that. Those who fear the Lord will be prosperous. You can have two cents to your name, and you can be prosperous in the Lord. You can have $2 billion dollars and be bankrupt in spirit. But the Lord's promise is, for those who fear the Lord, they will spend their days in prosperity. I love this. Next one. Their descendants will inherit the land. This goes right back to the discussion there in Deuteronomy. Talking about you will inherit the land that I've given you. You're going to walk in the paths that I've given you. That the blessing is going to come upon you. You'll be established and firm there. The Lord confides in those who fear him. 
Can you imagine having the God of the universe as your confidant? Can you imagine that he would want to confide in you because he trusts you, because he knows you fear him? He knows you'll listen and you'll obey. Remember, you be faithful in the little things and he's going to give you more. He's going to give you increase because he can trust you with it. He can share with you things that he couldn't share with somebody else. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. His promise to those who fear the Lord, he is is their protection. He is their refuge. He is their fortress. How many traps has the Lord pulled your foot out of? I can think of many myself. Personally, if it were not for God, I don't know where my future would have been. Let's go to Psalm 34. I'm going to read all the way through this. There have been times in my life that have been very dark, that have been very hard, that have been very scary. And I found refuge in this, this chapter. So we're going to read all the way through that. We're reading a lot of scripture today. We're ruminating in this stuff because you'll see as we go through it, these same patterns show up again, and he addresses it from different places, and there's, it hits our heart from different places. Let's just go all through this. This is just, this is just a lovely chapter. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name uh, together. As we were worshiping today, and as we were just praising him and singing about the greatness of our God and just being focused on him, that was such a wonderful motion of worship for us today in, in praise. I don't know about you, but I could just feel the presence of the Lord in the room. And when the instruments were silent and it was just our voices, you could just feel the the resonance of our voices in this room is as in one accord we were coming and just singing how great he is. You know, I'm just going to pause here to say this. We're, I remember, I think it was around the outset of 2020, Pastor Lanny was talking to us in our, one of our prophetic meetings that we were having with the ministry. And he was talking about the sound of worship and how the sound of worship changes over time. And how in different seasons of the Lord, the, the songs that come forth kind of exemplify what, what's on our heart right now. What's, what is it that the Spirit is revealing to the church in that time frame? And there's, there's been a season where we've kind of been through the, the greatness of how much God loves us. Because the church needed to know that God loves them. There's a reconnection with the heart of the Father towards us. And there's been other seasons throughout time, but we're, we're entering into a season, I would say we're, we're in a season where because so much has been shaken, even going into this time, I think it's going to become firmly established in this time that we are laying hold of the kingship and the lordship of Jesus and the preeminence that he has in all things. And the need for our lives to be subject to him as our king. So as we sing about his greatness, and as we as a people verbally and musically put him on the throne, his presence shows up. Because we're magnifying his name. We are becoming small as we are singing about how big he is. It's an important thing for us. The world is scattered right now, trying to find what they're going to hold on to. Culture is raging as to who's right and who's wrong and what ideas are great and what ideas are not great and people canceling each other in different ways and all that. But God is calling his people to recognize that there's only one kingdom that we can really lay hold of. And only one kingdom that we should be putting our 
our trust and our loyalty and our faith in. And that's his kingdom and that's in him. Okay, that was a sidetrack there, but it's important for us to see this. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. That's the king speaking. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Just think about that for a moment. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Whom shall I fear? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you, his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Does that sound glower in any way? Does that sound depressing or like you're under his thumb or anything like that? No, there's refuge in that. You lack nothing when you fear him. He's encamped around you. The lions may grow weak and, and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my chil- children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and turn your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. He just said that here, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And then he says, Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. So he starts by speak truth. If you love the Lord your God, speak truth. Don't lie. There is a father of lies, and he's not our father. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. These are practical aspects of the fear of the Lord. This is the the step across from where my heart is in reverence and awe of him and where my conduct follows in following him. He is love. He is truth. He is peace. He is righteousness. And so we come into alignment with him by the Spirit of God. And then... Here comes promises on the back end of this. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Have you ever had those times where you're so brokenhearted and you have no one with you? It says right here that he's close to you. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, Wait, I thought if I came to Jesus, all my troubles would go away. No. (laughs) No. But the Lord delivers him from them all. Hallelujah. That's a good promise right there. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. His promise to us when we fear him is that he encamps around us. He provides for us. He protects us. He's close to us. He draws near to us. He's with us in our darkest times, our darkest moments. That's incredible promise to us. 
I think this understanding that it's, it's not just enough to say that I love God. It's not just to say that he is good. But the recognition that I must fear him as well speaks to how my conduct must align with him. And I recognize that under the new covenant, he's given us access to have the Holy Spirit come and live inside of us. And that Jesus himself demonstrated what it's like to live a life that is filled with the Spirit of God. A life that is governed by the Spirit of God. We go to Isaiah chapter 11. The beginning here, it speaks about about Jesus. Where we find the, the seven spirits of God here. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. This is speaking about Jesus. Okay? The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of might. The Spirit of the knowledge. The Spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. Like we spoke about earlier, the fear of the Lord is still something that we must come into in the new covenant. Jesus, as it speaks about here, has the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Because he loves his Father. He reveres his Father. And I think it's amazing that as it gets through and talks about all those spirits, it then follows up with, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? When you go into the, into the Hebrew here, what you find is the words there and the phraseology is talking about like delighting in a scent, like in an aroma. And then it, it speaks, it says that he's not going to judge by what he sees and what he hears. Remember, it tells us in Scripture that God sees the heart and not what we would look at in the physical, what we see and what we hear. God's looking at the heart. And it's saying here that Jesus delights in the fear of the Lord. Now, as he was walking about in his time here on earth, you would see that he would recognize those who feared the Lord. He's picking up on an aroma in the spirit. God is looking for those who fear him. He delights in those who fear the Lord. He's given us the gift here by his spirit to fear him, to live in that place of awe and reverence and respect and honor and deference. And he delights in that. Ah, oh, so good. We're going to finish up today in First Peter. Chapter 1. It's all the way in the back of your book. In case you're wondering. Okay. We're going to start in verse 13 here. Now, this is an exhortation from a man who walked very closely 
with our Lord. I mean, physically, he knew what he smelled like. They had intimate conversations as they're eating food together. He saw his physical eyes on him. He actually denied him three times. He was actually received back physically into relationship with Jesus. He actually heard his voice calling his name. Here's what he says here. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. He's starting off by saying here, our conduct should match that of someone who is following after the Lord. And he's telling them here, as we go through this, don't fall away from him. Don't turn away from him. Be holy because he is holy. I think I've shared it here before. I love the way that, that Graham Cook speaks about this. I think in our orphan spirit we hear, Be holy because I am holy. Or else. But it's more like, Be holy because I am holy. It's an invitation into what you have access to by, by the Spirit. You don't have to go live an unholy, unclean life anymore because you're no longer a slave, a slave to sin. But now, be holy because I am holy. And Peter's saying, be holy because he is holy. Don't be conformed any longer to the sinful ways that you you grew up in. You now have access to freedom and holiness because of him. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. He's recognizing the same theme that has gone through all of Scripture. You're to live out your lives in reverent fear. There's a deep, intimate relationship that you have access to with the God of the universe. Not as impersonal, but as what we have up here, the Father, our Father, our loving Father who cares about you who sent his son for you so that you could be his son, so that you could be heirs with Christ. And he's saying here, live out your time as foreigners here. Remember, you're no longer of this world. You're a representative of a completely different kingdom that is greater. We sang it this morning. You're more real than the ground I'm standing on. You're more real than the breath in my lungs. Your thoughts define me. You're inside me. You are my reality. You sang those songs, those words earlier today. That puts us in a place that says he is much higher than I. His ways are above my ways. He's defined everything that I am, and and I'm here in this place in my reality that I, I draw my perspective from and my reference from is a greater reality than here because it's the reality of my Father. 
So live out your time here as foreigners in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with imperishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you've been purif- now that you've purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Our lives are a vapor, whereas like a breath, we're going to wither and fade. We're all in different stages of withering and blooming. But in the context of eternity, it's a flash. But what does remain is the word of God. And it's important for us to live out our lives, to work out our salvation in fear and trembling before him, recognizing that he is the author and finisher of our faith. He is our Lord. He is our King. He is our God. As we go through life, we run the the danger in our experience of allowing these things to become commonplace in our lives. Has anybody else been there? You're just going through your day. Haven't been in my word for a while. It's okay. I'll go on Sunday and we'll, we'll read the word. haven't had private worship with the Lord, but it's okay. We'll get together on Sunday and we'll, we'll sing together. I haven't prayed in a while. It's okay. We'll, we'll probably... This gathering together here is no replacement for your time that you do an intimate fellowship with your Father. Intimate fellowship with your Savior. Intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Where we crack this thing open to have an experience with Him. To have our lives read have the Holy Spirit say, that right there is what I want to talk about. Because I want to take you beyond it. This is my promise for you. Sing that song to me again. Just sing that song to me again. Your heart needs to sing that song to me again. Let's go take a walk. Let's talk about these things that you're facing right now. I know you've been up against a wall and you don't know what decision to make. I'm going to tell you how we're going to go through that wall together. In the fear of the Lord, we don't allow these things to become commonplace for us. It is our life. He is our life. He is our source. He is our everything. And the closer we draw to him, we find that he draws closer and closer to us.
Your father is always drawing you into intimacy with him. He's always drawing you off to the side. He's always drawing you into that place to commune with him. It tells us that he sets a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Let's have snacks in the middle of the battle. Because I just want to spend time with you. And I want you to be focused on me. And remember that you're living out of a different reality than what you're experiencing here. And my reality is greater than what you're experiencing. He is so good. He is so, so good. Do we have any prophetic words this morning? Okay. I'm going to pray for you this morning. You know, when I was preparing for this message, I was recognizing that there's a lot of fear that is taking place in this season, in the atmosphere, in the environment. You don't have to turn on the news. It will find you, and it will try to make you fear any number of things. And so I had my heart set out. I'm going to go preach on fear and anxiety and not focusing on those things, but what is it that the Lord wants us to do to overcome that? What is it that he's already done to overcome that? But as I was working through the scripture, everything I kept coming back to was the fear of the Lord. Lord, I want to find scriptures about this over here. No, no, we're going to go back over here. But I think I'm supposed to talk about this. No, back over here. Let's look up these other scriptures on fear. It's still the fear of the Lord that I keep finding. Somebody needs to hear this message today. Somebody has been in that dry place. Somebody is in that place where we've grown complacent. I myself recognize things in me that were distant from him as I started digging into this. And I said, okay, Lord, I need to hear this. Somebody needs to hear this too. If as I've been speaking today, and as we've been going through his word, you've been sensing the Holy Spirit saying, I need you to value this at a different level. I need you to fear me because I love you. Remember when you walked in the fear of the Lord? Let's get back there again. If you've heard that today, or you've sensed that today, I'm going to pray in these next few moments for the Lord to engage you there again. And I'm going to pray a prayer of repentance. You can pray that under your breath if you want to. You can pray it out loud if you want to. But we're going to pray a prayer of repentance in realigning ourselves with the fear of the Lord. The presence of the Lord shows up where the people fear him. Their hearts are inclined to him. Their hearts are fertile ground for him to show up and be present. We always, 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 always want to honor the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that is deeply tied to the fear of the Lord. So we've been talking around this subject in many of our messages for several months now. But today, we're coming at it directly. We're saying, we must fear the Lord. We must come into a place where he is our one and only. Where there is nothing else on the throne of our hearts because he is a jealous God. He is an all-consuming fire. And he will come after that thing. How about we give it to him? Lord Jesus, we are humbled before you today.
And we are reminded, Lord, we are not only to love you, but we are also to fear you. We know your commands are good. We know your ways are righteous and true and faithful. Lord, today, we confess that we have allowed what is holy to be considered as common in how we have walked through our lives. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. And right now, we commit our hearts to the fear of the Lord. To holy reverence and awe and commitment to you in your ways. We are devoted to you, Lord. I ask, Lord, that you would teach us about the fear of the Lord in new, deep, meaningful ways. I ask that you would give us personal experiences with you, Lord, that would deepen our convictions and our understanding and our experience with you. We thank you for your presence here among us today, Lord. We so value your presence among us. We so value your word. We so value your love. We so value your intimacy. We so value your presence. Lord, let us never cheapen the things that you have done. Let us hold them in high reverence and esteem. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take communion now. If you do not have a communion cup, please raise your hand. Our ushers will bring them to you. As we approach communion today, I'd like it to be from that, that heart that we just spoke about here. As Peter was talking about, Recognizing that what was purchased for us and how we were were redeemed was bought with a price that is far above silver or gold or any other thing that would have material value in this world. You were redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. If you don't yet know Jesus, know this. God knew when he created man that we would fall. He knew that before he created us. Peter tells us here, he was already chosen before the world and time began. As the one who would come to pay the price that you never could pay by living a life that you could never live, pure and spotless, that he would become sin for you and go to the cross and pay that price by his own blood. God came as a man, both God-man, the only one, God-man, Eternity, 
time and space, all wrapped up into one being, came and allowed himself to be hung on a cross to pay the price for your sin. But he didn't stop there. Three days later, he rose from the grave in victory over death. And he gives you the opportunity to receive the benefit of what he paid for when you come to him and give your life and say, Jesus, I am a sinner. There is nothing that I can do to earn righteousness or relationship with God. But I recognize that you are the way, you paid the price for my sin, and God rose you from the grave in victory over death. Please come live in my heart as my Lord, my Savior, my King. I give my life over to you. He will come and make his home in you. He will come and make his home in you. You will step out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Your future and your destiny will already be set. And your time here on earth, lived as a foreigner in this land, is to glorify him and bring as many people into the kingdom as you can along the way as his representative. All you have to do is say, please be my Lord and King. And then allow him to come in and transform your life. This right here inside this plastic cup is a representative remembrance of the highest price of anything that was paid in the history of the universe. This is no cheap thing. Thank you, Jesus, for your body broken for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood poured out for us. We remember in this moment the high price that you paid. We are humbled that you would choose to do it for us. Let us live lives that would bring honor to that price. In Jesus' name, take, eat, and drink. In the name of Jesus.